Good, good to be with you this afternoon again. Welcome to Summit Bible Church in the afternoons. It's a good time to meet for church right during nap time. Sunday nap time has been rearranged. It's okay. We're adjusting in this season, in this time. What is love? What is love? It's the age-old question. Men and women throughout history in this world have tried to define love. They've sought to explain love. They've sought to experience true love. And we know, looking back at history and even looking around today, that many in this world have failed, have failed to define love, to experience true love. <laughs> Maybe it would be easier for the world to explain what love is not because they're so good at failing it. So I have a few quotes from leading men in this world and throughout history. First, let's look at Albert Einstein. What does Albert Einstein, the great scientist, say love is not? Well, he says, love is not gravity. He said, don't blame gravity on falling in love or for falling in love. How about John Wooden, the famous author, UCLA basketball coach? He said, love is not passion. Because passion is momentary and love is enduring. William Blake, the great English poet, said, Love seeketh not itself to please, nor for itself hath any care, but for another gives it ease and builds a heaven in hell's despair. Will Smith, the actor and celebrity, said, Love is not a desire for others to fill our own cup. He said that only leads to anger, frustration, and further separation. And then finally, Jay Krishna, the famous Indian philosopher, said, if I have to run after it, it's not love, it's reward. Interesting. See, even the world can recognize that true love is not natural to us. It is not a fleeting, passionate kind of thing. It's not a self-pleasing thing. It's not self-indulging. It's not self-rewarding. And when we rule out those types of love, those worldly loves, we come closer to a true definition of love. And I only know one place, actually one person, that can define love. This one person defines it exemplifies it, and gives us true love, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 22. Once again, we're back in this passage where the Lord Jesus is giving us the King's commands. And remember, for this short series, we're skipping along through the book of Matthew Looking at the essentials of our faith, I summarize them with those five G's. We have the gospel, number one, two, the great commandments, 
then the Great Commission, all for God's glory and our good. We've seen the king's message, which was the gospel. We've seen part one of the king's commands, the first of the great commandments. You could see it there in verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. God defines love, and he defines love as sacrifice. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus, the Son of God, exemplified this, willingly giving himself to death on the cross for our sake, for our salvation. And remember, we talked about last week that we cannot love like this until we have been loved like this. God gives us this love only to those who are born of God and only to those who know God. And true love is the marker of every true Christian. First for God. God comes first. He is to be the first and preeminent object of our love. That's why Jesus says this is the great and first commandment. God first. All of our love, all of our life, the whole person. And today we look at part two of the great commandments, the second, which is like the first. Let's reread the passage just to become re-familiar with it. Matthew twenty-two thirty-four says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Remember, Jesus is in the middle of, of this interrogation with the rabbis. It's the three-round Bible boxing match. And you remember, they're trying to knock him out, and instead he dodges their punches and gives a lot of return blows. First, The first round goes to Jesus. The, Her- the Herodians walked away. He silences the Sadducees, literally gagging them, the text tells us, in round two. And in round three, he gives the old one-two punch. There's two commands here. The first punch he gives, it gives the lawyer a little taste of his own medicine. He quotes the great Shema, which is a passage of scripture this lawyer and any good Jew would know well. But the problem is that they are not applying it well. They do not love God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind. And Jesus' second punch is going to sting just as bad. Let's take a look at it, the king's second command. Look at verse 39. It says, and a second is like it. The word Hamas is used there. Hamas meaning same of similar nature. We're familiar, homo, right? Similar, same nature. So this second command is similar to the first in 
we ask ourselves, well, how is it similar? Look at the first three words of the command. You shall love. That should sound familiar. First three words of the first command. You shall love. And what's this word love Jesus uses here? Well, it's the same love he used in the first command. Agape love. Remember, this is the highest form of love. This is God's love. This is God-given love. It's a love that derives from the will and results in action. And it ultimately manifests itself in sacrifice. John 15, 13, I already read it, but let me read it again. Greater love, by the way, agape, has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So this is the same kind of love required of us a second time with a new object. Remember the first object, love God. Who is the second object of our love? The text says, you shall love your neighbor. You shall love your neighbor. So first, agape, love God. He comes first. He's the preeminent one, preeminent object of our love. And second, our neighbor, others. By the way, this second part is not a new command for the rabbis either. This is another command that they should be familiar with. Just like the great Shema, they should know that God has already commanded them. Jesus again quotes Moses and says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 19. Let's flip quickly to the Old Testament. I want to show you this law coming out of the law, the Torah, Leviticus 19 here. Leviticus 19, and we're looking, we're going to kind of skip through 11, verses 11 to 18 here. This is a great passage of scripture, God revealing himself as holy. And in Leviticus 19, 11, God starts to give his law to Moses, and he's talking specifically about interpersonal sin, or in other words, sin against neighbor. And he gives a bunch of you shall nots here. So verse 11, you shall not steal or deal falsely or lie to your neighbor. Verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. Verse 14, you shall not curse your deaf neighbor or put a stumbling block before your blind neighbor. Well, that's unkind, isn't it? Seems kind of like a given. That would be a very unkind thing to do. Verse 15, you shall do no injustice toward your neighbor. Verse 16, I'm summarizing here, you shall not slander your neighbor. Verse 17, you shall not hate your neighbor. Verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against your neighbor. And then look at the second part of verse 18. There's the all too familiar command. He sums all of that up. Everything he just said, he sums up with this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, Yahweh. There's the summary of it. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus doesn't present a new law here to the rabbis. He just reminds them, like he did with the first, of a law that they know, but they do not apply. Familiar words. The summary of the law is and always has been in one word, love. Love. It's a summary of God's law. In fact, John MacArthur proposes that you wouldn't need the law if we perfectly applied God's love. You wouldn't need it. Let's go through the Decalogue here. We have these two commands. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Let's see if they sum up God's commands. Let's look at the first four commandments. Looking at just the Decalogue here, the ten Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not worship idols. Number three, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath and make it holy. There you have it. The first four commands, you can sum them up with this statement. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. See, you'll not put other gods before him if you love him. You will not worship idols if you love him. You will not slander his name by taking it in vain if you love him. And of course, you will give him the Sabbath in worship if you love him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and you will fulfill the first four commandments. Let's look at the remainder. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's possessions. Well, the remaining six commands can be summed up with one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, you will honor your father and mother if you love them. You'll not murder if you love your neighbor. You will not commit adultery if you love your neighbor. You'll not steal if you love your neighbor. You're not going to bear false witness against your neighbor if you love your neighbor. You will not covet your neighbor's possessions if you love them. Love your neighbor as yourself and fulfill the final six commands in the Ten Commandments. The law is summarized in one word, love. Love. And this isn't just a rule book to be followed or applied. God is drawing on our hearts to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our minds, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And we can see why Jesus says, if you go back to Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, you can see why Jesus says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You could hang the two coats on these two coat hangers, if you will. The law of love. First, agape, love God. Second, agape, love neighbor. The two primary objects of our love. Now, let's talk a little bit about love. God's love, as we saw last week, we're going to see again this week, is not a selfish love. It is a selfless love. 
there's this psychological statement that is very popular in culture today. You've heard it. You may have heard it out of Oprah's mouth. You have probably heard it in the news media. You've heard it maybe from a teacher, a coworker. Here's the phrase, it's familiar. You must love yourself before you can love anyone else. You've heard it? It's popular today. You must love yourself before you can love anyone else. Some would even reference this text in scripture and say, see, look at what it says right there. You shall love your neighbor as well as yourself or based upon the fact that you already love yourself, almost validating self-love. In order to love my neighbor well, I need to love myself well first. The more I take care of myself, the more I can take care of my neighbor. That's what these self-love advocates are trying to say. Well, this text, the text, the passage, and the rest of Scripture debunks that phrase. Debunks it. First of all, that's not what this text is saying. This text does not commend or command self-love. It assumes it. What do I mean by that? Jesus uses the comparative conjunction here, hos, as or like. Parents, maybe you've said something like this to your kids. You know, I want to see you put effort into your homework as you put effort into video games. Well, of course, parents, you're not saying, I want you to play more video games so you can put more effort into your homework, right? No, you're using a comparison to emphasize the first command. Or maybe wives, you said something like this to your husbands. You know, I want to see you make time for your family as or like you make time for golf. That one hits a little home for me, myself. Um, But, of course, your wife is not saying, you know, I want you to play more golf so you can love your family more. No, of course not. The comparison is being used here. As much time as you play golf or as much time that you invest into video games, I want to see that kind of effort or see that kind of time into homework and your family. Similarly, Jesus assumes here that you love yourself. He knows it. And we know it. We have no problem loving ourselves, caring for ourselves, taking care of ourselves. And Jesus says, listen, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, because we already know you love yourself and want to see your love extended outside of yourself. To put another object above yourself. First God, second neighbor. I love the way Calvin summarizes it, this passage. He says, because we are too much devoted to ourselves, Jesus, in correcting this fault, places our neighbors at an equal rank. Self-love is not commended or commanded in the text. It's assumed. Second of all, notice the inspired order here. The two objects of our love. First is God, and the second is not self, it is neighbor. So I'd like to reword culture's statement. You must love God before you can love anyone else. Thirdly, God's love, as we've already seen, is is most manifest in selflessness, in sacrifice. 
God's love is always associated not with self-love, self-indulgence. It is associated with selflessness. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter says this, love does not boast. It is not arrogant. It does not insist on its own way. Galatians 5.13, but through love serve one another. Love is manifested in service. Again, God's love is not selfish, it is selfless. And we know and we've seen the ultimate display of God's love and it's displayed in the gospel. Utter and ultimate selflessness. God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten Son. First John 3, by this we know love, that he laid his life down for us. Utter and ultimate sacrifice. And because of this, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is God's love. Selfless, sacrificial, giving, surrender, totally antithetical to the world's statement. You must love yourself before you can love others. The scriptures seem to say you must lay aside yourself before you can love others. Again, God's love is not a selfish love. It's a selfless love. And I know as you're listening to this, you're challenged as I was in the study. Evaluate your love individually. You and the Lord, even right now, evaluate your love for your spouse, for your kids, for your friends, for your co-workers, for your brothers and sisters in the church, for your neighbors, even for your enemies. Is it characterized by selfishness or selflessness? Do you love to give or to receive? Do you love to meet their needs or your own? Do you love to make them look good or yourself look good? Do you love to talk about them or to talk about you? Do you love for the sake of their comfort and their security, not your own comfort and security? Do you truly love your neighbor as yourself? Convicting, convicting questions. A convicting truth. Our love falls short, doesn't it? It falls short of the love that God expects from us. But every true believer in this room, every true believer in this room, listen, has the capacity, the ability, and they manifest this kind of love. This love is in you. If you know God and you've been loved by God, then this love is in you and it pours out from you. Not perfectly, we'll admit. I'll be the first to admit. My love is not perfect. But what an incredible blessing, what an incredible gift that God gives us in that when he regenerates us, he transforms us by his love, we are then able to love the way that God expects us to, selflessly. 1 John 4, 8 says this, heed these warnings. If this love is not in you, then this is a problem. 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. 
1 John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, true love is non-negotiable for the Christian. It's a first fruit of genuine salvation. Love is in you. And it should be pouring out from you. If God's love has been poured in, then we should see it pour out. Said another way, if there's no love pouring out, then it begs the question, was there ever love poured in? Let's take it to another level. The scriptures take us there. Are you known by your love? First John, or sorry, John 13, 35 says this. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. What is it, Lord? How do they know? How can we know if they are true disciples of you? If you have love for one another. Love is not an internal marker, not just an internal assurance of your salvation. It is a public mark. It is a branding mark, if you will. For all true Christians, love. Love. Are you known by your love? Would your coworkers say, yes, that man or that woman is a person who loves selflessly? Not by the world's standards, but by God's standards. Does your spouse know you by your love? Do your kids know you by your love? Do your neighbors know you by your love? Every true believer will pour out love. It should be pouring out from us constantly. How can we grow in it? That's what we need to know. How can we grow in this kind of love? How can we be people marked by love, people that pour out God's love to others? Well, I've noted three applications here. How can you grow in God's love? It's in you. If you know God and you've been born of God, then you have God's love in you. How can you grow? How can you grow? Well, first of all, stay close to God's love. Stay close to God's love. Don't wander far from the cross of Jesus Christ, the ultimate display of love. Don't wander far from the characteristics of God. God is love. Remember, we love because God first loved us. So the further we move away from his love, the more difficult it's going to be for us to love like he loves. Stay close to God in his love, in communion, in prayer, in scripture reading. Stay close to his love. Remind yourself of the gospel continuously throughout your day. If a situation requires you to be selfless, remember how selfless Christ was for you. Remember how he so loved for you. Stay close to God's love. Number two, take your eyes off of yourself. Take your eyes off of yourself. Oh, that's difficult, isn't it? Philippians 2, 2 through 4 Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. See, Paul sees the great commandment and he gives it a raise. Don't love your neighbor as yourself. Love your, love your neighbor more than yourself. Wow. Count others more significant than yourself. Verse 4, let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is probably one of the most difficult passages of Scripture to apply. To count others as more significant than yourself. To count your spouse as more significant, her interests, his interests, more than your own. It's so easy. I can speak from experience. It is so easy for me to look out for me. It's so easy for me to care about me, how I'm feeling, my emotional needs, my physical needs. And I care for myself. If I'm hungry, I'll go to, go to In-N-Out, get a double-double. If I'm thirsty, I'll go to the fridge and get some water. It's easy for us to take care of us. It is far more difficult to put others before ourselves. Self-care is natural. Selfless care is supernatural. And we need God's help. So take your eyes off of yourself. How can you do that? Well, you can pray. You can pray and ask God for an increased thoughtfulness of others. You can consider ways daily. Consider ways. Write them down. Be proactive to put others before yourself, your coworkers, your spouse, your kids. Consider ways to encourage and build up those around you. Praise others instead of praising yourself. Notice the strengths of others and build them up. That, that's a scriptural principle. Romans 15.2 says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Place your neighbor above yourself and you will grow in selfless love toward others. Stay close to God's love. Take your eyes off of yourself. And number three, very important, tether to the truth. Tether to the truth. What do I mean by that? Well, I love the way that MacArthur puts it. He says this, love is always tethered to the truth. What is a tether? A tether is a line to which someone or something is attached, mainly for security or safety. When you're walking your dog in public, you have him on a leash so he doesn't run off and get into trouble. And if you let go of the leash, the dog runs wild. So you keep him tethered to you. You know, as a rock climber, I don't know if any of you are rock climbers here, it's important to be tethered to a strong bolt in the wall. It's your anchor. If that's not strong, or if you let go of the rope, you will fall to your peril. It becomes very dangerous. Uh, similarly, listen, similarly, love runs wild, and it is dangerous when it is not tethered to the truth. In fact, I would say it's not God's love at all, because God's love is never separated from the truth. Ephesians 4.15, Scripture calls us to speak the truth in love. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, 
Let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Love is always tethered to the truth. So love does not sacrifice truth. Love doesn't put it on the altar. Love doesn't trump the truth. Love is tethered to it. I say this because the world has hijacked love. And they've cut the tether to the truth. In this verse particularly, they've hijacked this, per, this verse. You may have heard this verse quoted recently. Loving your neighbor as an excuse for some kind of sin or illicit behavior. Well, love trumps the truth? No, that's not, that's not God's love. They, instead of have love tethered to the truth, they tether it to their own false doctrines and ideologies. They misquote the scripture, misapply it, and consequently they redefine love. Just a specific example of this. You know, the world is calling Christians and churches to embrace the sin of homosexuality. And they do this under the banner of loving your neighbor. What they mean by love your neighbor is not God's selfless, sacrificial, truth-tethered love. They're talking about an accepting love, a compromising love, a catering love, an experiential love, even demanding Christians to deny it as sin and celebrate it as preference. See, love has been redefined misquoted and misapplied. Well, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, tells us love does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but love rejoices in the truth. Be careful when the world quotes Scripture because they work very hard at cutting the tether to the truth, and they often misquote, misapply, and redefine biblical terminology. Love is always tethered to the truth, but it goes both ways. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 2, Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, understand all the mysteries and have all the knowledge and if I have all the faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Love is always tethered to the truth. Truth must always be tethered to love. Be careful, Bible thumpers. You may be working hard in the opposite direction. Working hard and cutting the tether to love so that you can bash someone over the head with the truth. Oh, don't cut that tether. Love and truth go hand in hand. Paul says, you could cut the word straight. You can have all these incredible spiritual gifts, but if you lack love, you miss everything. In fact, you are nothing. Strong words. Do not untie love from the truth or untie truth from love. How can we grow in love? Well, then we grow in our knowledge of the truth. 
and we speak the truth in love. We're not afraid to confront. We're not afraid to have the courage or boldness to speak up when it is appropriate, but our response is always laced, tethered to true love for that person. Think about it. If you're going into a conversation, you need to confront somebody or have a difficult conversation. Think about that person. How can I most love them in this conversation? What do they need most? How can I say this in a way that they would receive it and grow in their love for God and their love for me? Love must be tethered to the truth. How can we grow in love? We'll stay close to God's love. The closer you are to God's love, the more you will grow in your love for others. Number two, uh, sorry, I missed my, number two, take your eyes off of yourself. Actively, proactively, write people, names of people down that you can think of or put up above you in your daily life. And then number three, make sure your love is tethered to the truth and truth is always tethered to love. Here's my prayer for Summit Bible Church. People have asked, what's your vision for Summit Bible Church? What's your vision for the next 10 years for Summit Bible Church? Here it is. I pray that Summit Bible Church would be both deep and wide. Deep and wide. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. You know the kids' song, the Sunday school song? Some of you nodded and smiled. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Deep and wide. What do I mean by that? My prayer for some of the Bible church, deep and wide. Well, what do I mean by deep? I mean deep in two ways, and they follow these commands. I pray that some at Bible church, we would be a church that is deep in love with God. Deep in our love with God, for God, to God. We would love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. And deep in another way, we would be deep in our love for each other. Known by our love for each other. Selfless, sacrificial love for each other. Deep in our love for God and deep in our love for each other. That's my prayer for us to grow in these two areas. To grow in depth. And I also pray that Summit Bible Church would grow in width, deep and wide. What do I mean by that? Well, my prayer is that Summit Bible Church would be wide in gospel outreach. Wide in gospel reach to the glory of God and called according to our purpose for our own good. That we would fulfill the great commission. The third G the Great Commission, and that's where we will turn next week in our study through the book of Matthew. Deep and wide, deep in our love for God, deep in our love for each other, and wide in gospel reach, making disciples. I can't wait to come back next week and look at the Great Commission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have so loved us. We cannot measure your love. We are in awe of your love. I can't believe, God, that you would send your son as a sacrifice. The God-man, the perfect God-man who committed no crime. 
to die a sinner's death for my sake. That's love. And there is no story that compares to that. There's no person I know of who's displayed love like that towards me other than you. You are far and above us in your love. You out-love us. And because you so loved us, we want and we ought to love one another. We ought to be selfless in our love like you were selfless toward us. We ought to put others above ourselves, to put their needs above ours, to put their interests above ours, to agape love them selflessly. God, I pray that you'd help us do that. Strengthen us in love. Pray that we as Summit Bible Church would be deep in love, deep in our love for you and deep in our love for each other. God, I pray that you commit these words in our hearts, that they'd be branded into our hearts and that we would grow this week in light of the truth that was preached. In Jesus' name, amen.